Check me out on a brand new podcast this fall called Get It Right. We'll analyze pop culture through the lens of justice, from examining the lives of women in the prison system through Orange is the New Black, to reminiscing about what we learned from Dirty Dancing as kids, to exploring the history of reproductive justice in hip hop, Get It Right will dissect maddening tropes, celebrate the art and artists who get it right, and present our favorite movies, music, and television in a whole new light. Get It Right is part of Rewire News, coming soon this fall. Rachel True, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, this is Anika Noni Rose, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Idris Elba, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Malik Forte. I am a professional nobody, but you might have seen my work on Nerdist.com or Stone Bleacher Report, and you are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, my name is Natalie McGriff, creator of the Adventures of Moxie McGriff comics, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerd Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Yeah. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Thanks for tuning in to episode 86 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. This episode is titled Color Me Badlands, Lucasfilm, and John Legend. Three segments. In our first segment, we have writer LaToya Morgan, who has worked on Shameless and is now a writer on Into the Badlands. She chats with us about her work on the new hit AMC show, and she geeks out with us over Bruce Lee movies and Game of Thrones. That segment is co-hosted by Joelle, Karan, and Mel. In our second segment, we have the creative executive for Lucasfilm, Rain Roberts. Rain has worked on Episode 7, The Force Awakens, as well as the animated series Star Wars Rebels. She chats with us about the structure of Lucasfilm, the role of a creative executive, and new initiatives the multimedia company is doing to grow its diversity. That segment is hosted by yours truly, Jamie Brodnax. In our third segment, we invite singer and executive producer John Legend. He chats about his new project, Southside With You, about a young Michelle and Barack Obama, and discusses how he's changing the landscape of film and television. 
That segment is a one-on-one hosted by Joelle. Thanks again for tuning in to another star-studded episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast, and we really hope that you enjoy this one. Be sure to also leave us comments and let us know how we're doing on each of these podcasts. Your feedback on SoundCloud, your ratings that you give us on iTunes, we pay close attention to that, and we do incorporate that feedback into our podcast productions. So thanks for tuning in, and enjoy! Toya Morgan serves as a staff writer on the Showtime series Shameless and the new AMC hit show Into the Badlands. Latoya Morgan is a staff writer for season two. She's also an NAACP Image Award nominee and a comic book writer under Zenoscope Entertainment. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. This is a very exciting podcast for me because I've been following this guest for a while on Twitter and I love ranting and raving with her online. But most importantly, you're familiar with her work if you're a fan of the show Into the Badlands. And if you use the hashtag along with us on Twitter, Color Me Badlands, then you're really going to enjoy this segment. I have Latoya Morgan. She is a writer. She's best known for her work on Shameless and now Into the Badlands. And she's a comic book creator and self-declared Black Girl nerd. Thank you so much (laughs) for coming on the show, Latoya. (laughs) Thank you for having me. So I want to jump right into Into the Badlands because that show is amazing. It, It was a sleeper hit and it's caught a loyal and large fan base rather quickly, like I mentioned before in the intro. Yeah. Color me Badlands is what we use on Twitter. Um, <laughs> that is the best hashtag ever, by the way. Is it? The best. Has any of the, the crew, I know that um, Daniel Wu noticed it on Twitter. Has any of the other crew? Oh, yeah. We talk, it? About it. we talk about it all the time in the writer's room. It's an amazing uh, phenomenon. Uh, Daniel talks to us about it. Yeah, he's really excited about it. And I know whenever I tweet, I, I try to use that, that hashtag just because it's genius. Oh, that's awesome. That's great that you guys see that. So was your team at all surprised at how well-received this show was? And what has been your experience working on a show like this? I think, um, well, first of all, I I wasn't involved in the first season. I was just a pure fan. Al Goff and Miles Millar are our showrunners. They did a fantastic job with the writers on the first season uh, just really giving us a world that we see very often in film, but not necessarily on TV. Um, and I'm a big martial arts fan, so I was there for that. Uh, I thought season one was really great. It laid a wonderful groundwork for what we're doing on season two. Um, and we're just, you know, sort of picking up those building blocks and just trying to lean into the things that worked really well. Um, I know one of my favorite characters from season one was the widow. As soon as I got in the writer's room, I was like, <laughs> please let's have some more widow. <laughs> immediately. Yes. And we have like this incredible fight crew that, that helps coordinate these beautiful balletic fight scenes for us. So I am so super psyched for everybody to see what we're putting together for season two. I'm, I'm excited for season two as well. And I just really love how this show is, has very strong women 
and yeah. um and and the diversity is great and obviously that's being reflected in the writers room because you are a part of the staff so it's awesome yeah. to see um that unfold uh, and and I look forward to seeing more with season 2 yeah i think it's been a really great experience um working with you know alan miles who are very much steeped in genre you know they did the show smallville a few years ago you know they've written like lethal weapon and the mummy and Spider-Man and they've they've done uh, so you know so much great stuff in the world of genre that it's been incredible just sitting around the table with them you know pitching ideas and then being super receptive to that so it's been a really class act and a really great experience. I also noticed that on your your Twitter profile you have listed your comic book creator and I, I wanted to talk to you a bit about comics. Um, I I know as a black female writer, you've had a lot of thoughts and opinions about the new Iron Man comic featuring (laughs) Riri Williams (laughs) and how Marvel has had a bit of a diversity problem with hiring black women writers. (laughs) Yes, a little bit, a little bit, right? (laughs) And and we know that Roxanne Gay and Yona Harvey is now working on Black Panther that was recently announced. Um, But what is your thoughts about the lack of black women writers in the comic book industry? Well, first, let me say like, I'm super, super psyched for Roxanne Gay. I'm, I'm like such a fan of hers. Um, I cannot wait to see what she's doing uh, with the companion series. I think, you know, just in general, I'm a big Marvel fan and I was actually kind of shocked. I actually was going through the history and I was like, is it really truly possible that there had never been any Black women writing for Marvel comics? And, and there hadn't been. And I, I, I just... I, that's shocking and it makes me mad and I'm, I'm glad they're trying to <laughs> rectify that now. Um, but I just think that there are so many really supremely talented uh, writers, women, black women who just need the opportunity, who just need that door to be open so that they can write the genres that they love. And I, as a comic book person, uh, I wish it would be me. You know? <laughs> I'm glad that you know they have these awesome women who are who are writing for it now, and that they continue it because it's not enough to just have one or two women. It really should just be a part of the fabric of Marvel, which you know I think in most other cases is pretty diverse. I, I mean, obviously, they, all of, all of the the you know even the studios have better work to do, but um, on screen, uh, Marvel does a, a pretty solid job of including diversity in, in cast. And I just think that they need to not just be happy with a couple of beautiful, wonderful black women walking through the door that make sure some more walk in after them. You know what? I just want to say it's so awesome for you to preface any statement within the writer's room. I'm so geeking <laughs> out with that right now because <laughs> we bring it up in almost every single podcast that has to do with television, film or anything in literature that, there's the absence of us in the writer's room. So what can you speak to young and aspiring women writers, especially for television and film? And what was the best word of advice ever given to you about being a writer? I think the best piece of advice I've ever gotten uh, comes from my mom. And she is like the best person in the world, of course. But I I think it really prepared me for uh, just trying to become a writer trying to break into Hollywood can be very difficult. And, you know, she said to me, first of all, I believe in you, which is very important. People need to hear that all the time. But she said, don't let anyone stop you. Mm -hmm. If you want to stop, that's fine. But don't let someone telling you no 
be the thing that stops you from doing what you want to do. And so there have been times where I would send out scripts and I would hear back from people and the answer will be no, 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 no. And I would be devastated. And then I would have to collect myself, you know, Mm -hmm. and and pick myself up and put those pieces back together and then not be afraid to put myself out there again. Because part of the process of trying to break into Hollywood is just, there's just going to be rejection. And you sort of have to develop a thick skin about that. And in the beginning, it's really hard. But once you're doing it, uh, it becomes a little easier. But how have you handled rejection? How, what ways have you used to cope with the rejection and the discrimination? And is there anything you would do differently in responding to it? Well, the, it's never easy. <laughs> after, after, <laughs> no, you know, it's not. I, I really, uh, I, I've gotten a little better about it, but you know, I, I call my friends, I cried to my friends, I call my mom, I cried to my mom, um, have a little wine, uh, and then <laughs> or live, you know, <laughs> and then I, uh, try to start, you know, writing something else. Usually I try to always be working on something else. Um, but that to me is the best remedy. And I think, you know, one of my little mantras that I always say to myself is that underestimation is my favorite motivation. Mm, People always underestimate, have always underestimated me, I feel. And then they're amazed when they actually give me the chance and I'm able to perform and, and, and really give them great material in the writer's room. Um, I think that has served me well. So anytime someone has ever asked me to do a task, I try to do it 150%. And because of that, that's opened the doors and given me a lot of other opportunities in the writer's room, which has been really, really re- rewarding. In the writer's room? I love it speaking of um, I'm always really curious what happens behind the scenes of shows and movies I mean the closest I've ever been was working as an extra and all I remember was being really bored all day long and wondering when are they going to wrap this thing up and somebody stole my bike I was so pissed off oh no (laughs) oh no that's wrong I know right (laughs) So I wanted to know, you worked on um, both Shameless and Turn Washington Spies. So can you talk a little bit about your experience working on each? Absolutely. Um, So Shameless was great because that was my first job. John Wells is one of my TV idols, and I got to sit in the writer's room with him in a room full of fantastic writers every day and just talk about the most outrageous pitches ever for what our characters would do. I mean, the show is called Shameless for a reason. We could literally pitch anything and Showtime would kind of be like, yeah, do that. Wow. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. And I think, you know, the difference between Shameless and Turn Washington Spies is that obviously there's the Revolutionary War and then there's a, a contemporary family drama. But the thing that drew me to Turn was that it's also, in a way, really actually about a family. It's about the culpering, about these spies during the Revolutionary War. But at the core of it, it's about this group of friends who will basically ride or die for each other. They're in, like, the highest of stakes, right? It's the war. Mm-hmm. Um, they make the wrong move. They die. Their families die. But they're so tightly knit, and they literally helped, you know, Washington win the war. And I found that so fascinating. So usually when I try to pick projects I I think about what are the core themes that I gravitate towards and I just happen to love family dramas so that's what drew me to turn 
what else draws you to a script? Obviously, family dramas, and it's like you have like a lot of high stakes drama and everything you write. Is that kind of the main thing that draws you to work? Yes, I, I'm a big character person. I love I love stories that have interesting characters at the core. So for Turn, even though I wasn't when I was the, interviewing for the job, I wasn't like I'm dying to write a revolutionary war story. <laughs> it was that it was I thought about it. I was like, oh my goodness, what if I was Abe, who's our main character, who's behind enemy lines, and he sees this, this opportunity to help Washington and help his friend who works for Washington. Would I be the person who would actually help or would I be the person that's kicking it at the crib and just decides to sit it out? And I, I love the idea of that, of getting to go on that adventure with him. Uh, so that's why I picked that. But in general, I, I love suspenseful stories. So usually in the features that I write, in the, in the comic books that I write, there's some element of suspense in there and, of course, great characters. That makes me curious. Is there a show right now that's on that you would want to write for? Look, if they didn't already <laughs> have, like, the most amazing writer's room in ever, Game of Thrones is yes. my jam. Yes. <laughs> I know you're a big Game of Thrones I fan. Like, I'm a huge, like, you can't see me right now. I'm wearing a Game of Thrones t-shirt. Um, <laughs> nice. House, House Stark. I'm ro- rocking the House Stark yes, right now. Yes, House Stark forever. <laughs> yep. what? Show us the right house. Yes. <laughs> the saddest house, but the best house. <laughs> <laughs> So if they didn't already have that on lockdown, I would totally write for that show. Um, but of course, you know, I love working on my show, Into the Badlands. I'm going to be going back to turn in the fall. And of course, you know, hopefully there'll be future shows that, that I can create that I would be excited to work on. Okay. So you mentioned earlier that you're a martial arts fan. So do you have a favorite film or a favorite actor? Gotta go with the classic Bruce Lee. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> the dragon. I love that fight with the, the mirror room. Oh my god, it's just mm, classic. classic. It's good, clean. He is just a phenomenon. He is. Uh, no, there's, there's never. I mean, and there are some great people who come after him, but he is just. There will like, never fine. be another. Yeah, yeah there will never, never be another Bruce Lee. They will never. They broke the mold with that one. Yeah. Oh, he was so good. Many molds, yeah. honey. Many molds. <laughs> molds. They're just lying on the floor Melt and the mold. <laughs> Did you mention that you have a favorite Bruce Lee film? Was it Enter the Dragon or do you have a... Enter the Dragon. Yeah. Enter the Dragon. Yeah. A good one. Yeah. Game of Death for me, but yeah. Enter the Dragon. Oh, yes. Yes. Very good. I love it. It's like that was one of my family bonding movies as a child. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's good family bonding. I love that. We're a strange family. <laughs> uh, what are you talking about? Like the love of like old movies and, and women creating content for these things that we love and have participated in for years. Kathleen Kennedy said recently, and I'm pretty sure. I've brought this up a bunch of times, but it really bugs me because she said that she would have considered hiring a woman to direct Star Wars if one had called. And wow. it, yeah, mm-hmm. and it struck me as you know, we, we, you they're out there, they're consistently at festivals, consistently so you know calling sh- now. I mean, but even if we did call, <laughs> yeah, like call right now and call. I mean, like I, I can't remember the name of the director, but she was talking. She's been directing um, TV for five years. She's still getting called out to ask, you know. So what kind of experience do you have? Five years of television isn't considered experience. And I'm just wondering, do you think, are women still not leaning in enough or are they not reaching back enough? Mm. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I think, I can't speak to for how directors 
you know, approach the business. I will say that in every writer's room that I've been in, it has been a mandate that we try to hire at least one or two female directors on the shows. Um, Because that is just, it just has to happen. Um, And in the writer's room, I'm usually, on the last few shows that I've written on, I'm usually the only woman and I'm usually the only black woman. (laughs) So when I'm sitting at that table, you know, I take that responsibility, you know, very seriously. You know, I want our voices to be heard. And I think that I do lean in and all the women in different writers room, I think they do lean in and they uh, speak up as they should. But it also takes someone to reach out and to say, hey, I want to hear what this person has to say at the end of the table. So I think it has to be, uh, you know, really a push and pull. Yes, I'm leaning in, but you also need someone to to listen. I, I think of that a lot because in the writer's room, it can be a lot of people talking over each other at the same time. And usually, like, I'm the person being like, hey, wait, I, what? I have something to say, you know, <laughs> right? And so you need that tiebreaker, that person to say, okay, guys, all these guys that are sitting around this table, you've had your turn. Now let's hear what someone else has to say, right? So um, there has to be really just the, the ebb and flow of the writer's room and for people to hear women's voices. Mm-hmm. Any desire to write for Star Wars then? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Sure. I think Ryan Johnson and whoever else, they all have those locked up, uh, but absolutely. For now. <laughs> <laughs> please, yes, all of you, please call me. Bye-bye. No, for you Star have to call. call her for Marvel. <laughs> call me for everything. <laughs> when they call you for Star Wars, call me to be an extra, and then I will owe you everything for the rest of my life, like anything you want. And you know what? And we will get this bike situation rectified. <laughs> <laughs> take my bike. I will buy a bike so they can take it. <laughs> Star Wars Gotta get you a new anything. bike. <laughs> wow. This is great. Oh, my gosh, Latoya. You're doing really great stuff right now. And again, for people that are listening that work for Marvel, that work for Star Wars, hire LaToya. She's a great writer. (laughs) (laughs) And we need more women like her in the writer's room. Can you also let our listeners know where they can find you on the interwebs? Also, any projects that you're working on outside of Into the Badlands and where we can find you on social media? Sure, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Morganic Inc. M-O-R-G-A-N-I-C-I-N-K um, for both. And projects that I'm working on. Um, actually, I just got hired to, I'm really excited about this, to adapt a, a best-selling crime novel called The Two-Minute Rule. It's about a bank robbery in L.A. It's very high stakes, character love it so I'm super excited about that and of course I you know write comics for Zenoscope Entertainment which is an independent comic company and I'll be writing another uh, Tales of Terror for them uh, later this year awesome excellent I'm so excited I'm so excited too (laughs) thank you so much for being on the show this was a great discussion thank you so much for having me Well, I I look forward to seeing everything that you're doing in the future. This is so exciting to hear that you're involved in so many projects. And we, we would love to have you coming back again on the show. 
I would love to. This was so much fun. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. You're wonderful. (laughs) Of course. You guys are great. Rain Roberts is a creative executive at Lucasfilm and a member of the Lucasfilm Story Group. She was a development executive on Star Wars The Force Awakens and upcoming films Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and Star Wars Episode Eight. Her film background includes several years as a development executive at Gold Circle Films, as well as an associate producer on the award-winning documentary The Fair Trade. Rain has spent nine years producing and art directing fashion, portrait, and documentary photography as a photo editor at Vibe Magazine and also Teen People Magazine. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Star Wars fans, you're going to be really excited for this one. I know I am as a personal fan. I found out about this guest by way of Twitter, which is a really great way for us to find guests on these great shows and also to learn more of what's happening in our favorite fandoms. And I have here with me Rain Roberts. She is the creative executive for Lucasfilm and part of the Lucasfilm Story Group. She was involved in Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, as well as the animated series Star Wars Rebels. Rain, thank you so much for coming on our show. Thanks for having me. First of all, for anybody who has not seen what Rain looks like, she is a woman of color, and it's so refreshing that black women like you are telling stories at Lucasfilm. You are the creative executive, as I mentioned before in the intro, for this big multimedia company. Can you tell our listeners what a creative executive is and what you do specifically in this role? Sure. Well, what my role involves is there's, there's a lot of several different hats I wear and several hats that everyone in my group wears. But I, uh, as, as a creative executive, I focus on feature film development and production, which means before we get a movie uh, going, I am involved in helping to identify a screenwriter and, our, and or a director to come onto that project. So I work very closely with Kiri Hart, our head of development, and subsequently Kathy Kennedy to help identify those key creative people. And then, you know, so that's, you know, involves reading a lot of screenplay samples and watching a lot of directing samples often if they're not already on our radar. And then kind of evaluating uh, people's availability and evaluating who would make the ideal filmmaker or a creative team for each project. And then once we bring them on, then it involves uh, breaking that story with them. For instance, on Force Awakens, we were breaking the story with our first screenwriter, Michael Arndt, and our brain trust, and ultimately J.J. After we kind of get through that story-breaking process, then we get into an iterative script process, and we're evaluating the screenplay uh, pages as they come in and giving notes and doing story meetings and circulating feedback amongst all the creative people. And then ultimately the movie moves into production, and we're continuing to watch the daily footage as it comes in on the movie, give the, the filmmakers our thoughts on how everything is turning out creatively, and that process continues through post-production as we begin to cut the movie. So we are a, a creative support for the film from start to finish. And then, you know, the other big part of that job is just kind of keeping my ear to the ground in terms of what kind of creative talent is out there. So I'm do, I do lots of reading screenplays, writing samples, lots of watching films, going to film festivals, and meeting with people and just getting to know people to build relationships that if we ever wanted to work with them, we would have those relationships established. The other part of my my uh, job involves, told you I had a lot of hats. 
involves, you know, liaising to our physical production team and keeping track of all the milestones that we're going through when we actually are, are prepping a movie and filming a movie and finishing a movie. And then I also, because we're a multimedia company, I also, in my role, I, I liaise to our publishing group to help them develop books and comics and things that tie into our films and our, and our television shows so that everything is kind of connected. So, so that's the... <laughs> those are the wow. Things. That's a lot. I, I take it you don't get much sleep from all of the work that you're doing there. Manage, I do manage to sleep. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, I think when you love this stuff as much as I do and as much as everyone here does, it doesn't have, it doesn't always feel like work. So you can kind of go all day, um, all night, and, and work late, and it, never, it doesn't ever feel uh, like work, I guess you could say. So at times it does, but for the most part it's um, incredibly stimulating and rewarding. So it, it, it makes going those long hours you know, not terrible. There's nothing better than having a job that's rewarding and something that you love doing. So that's awesome that with all of the hats that you're wearing, that you're really able to dive into this and enjoy it, even though it's so many um, different types of jobs, as well as, you know, being involved in a production for such a long period of time. So that's good that you're enjoying that process. Yeah. I mean, we have a great time here. I think I think part of it is the teams we have here are fantastic. There's a lot of enthusiasm here, and there's a lot of camaraderie at Lucasfilm, not only here in San Francisco, but on our actual productions in London. And so it, it definitely feels like a huge family. And, you know, Chris is, you know, a, one of our publicists is a good friend of mine, and he's here in the room. Like, it's all, we all really enjoy uh, collaborating together. So I think that that makes it pretty enjoyable as well. Now, I know that Rogue One is off limits for, for questions, but I'm just going to ask you a question based off of the movie trailer that we all saw that just dropped last week. As a fan, who are you looking forward to seeing the most in the upcoming film? I guess uh, it's hard to take that objective you know, <laughs> outlook and, and put yourself in just the fan shoes when you help develop some of the characters. Mm. But, you know... What I will say, though, is and not to get too specific on the characters, so that can be more of a reveal for everyone as they come into the movie, but I am really excited, actually, about, um, and this actually can speak to being a Star Wars fan, because Star Wars has a visual fidelity that I think people expect and enjoy and love getting into, and this movie is not going to hold back on that by any means. In fact, it's going to almost over-deliver. We had, like, an incredible team of production designers on this movie, led by Doug Chang and Neil Lamont, who are our co-production designers and anyone uh, knows Doug Chang's been doing Star Wars for like over 20 years and Neil Lamont, someone that has a you know, storied history as a production designer, it's in his family and so they are production designers we had an amazing concept artist, we had amazing costume designers and we built these incredibly immersive sets that were fantastic to watch come together, really allowed our actors to immerse themselves and then we had our director of photography Greg Fraser decided to shoot on this brand new um, camera, an Ari Alexa 65 millimeter camera. And I don't, I don't think you can appreciate how beautiful the film's gonna be just from the trailer on the internet. Like when people go see it, they're going to be completely blown away with all those things coming together. So I'm really excited about that. And I think that actually does speak to Star Wars fandom because I think that's what the original films all did for everybody, take them to a place that was completely fantastic. That's amazing. I know Rogue One is such an exciting project for you guys, but it's also a huge, huge staple for us here in in the Black Girl Nerds community and for women at large because 
this is the first time we're seeing a Star Wars property where we have a protagonist as the lead, the female lead. And in episode seven certainly showed us that as well. But I think Rogue One is doing something pretty significant with respect to diversity. And, and I wanted to know how important is it for you to have diversity behind the scenes as well as what we're seeing in front with films like episode seven and Rogue One? It's really uh, important to me personally, and it's actually really important to Kathleen Kennedy and to our production executives here, uh, Jason McGatlin, who's our SVP of production, and, and Campus is our VP of production. It's, it's really important to them. They've actually, they're actually going to be announcing something really exciting soon. They've been working with the British Film Institute to, to bring in a more diverse crew onto our films. So I won't go into the details, but all that to say, it's, you know, it's something that we take very seriously here. Um, it's something that is well demonstrated throughout Lucasfilm as a company. And so what we're aiming to do now is to continue to grow that tradition on the, with the production staff. That's awesome. I, I look forward to that announcement. It sounds like it's a really great opportunity for a lot of people yeah. that are interested in getting involved with Lucasfilm. So that's amazing. And we film everything in the U.K., so... Right now, it's it's kind of specific to the UK because mm-hmm. that's where all of our all of our crews are. But I think it's something that you know we have a we have a long uh, trajectory of making films here. Hopefully, so wherever we end up filming, I think that's important to us. Absolutely. How have the challenges been in this role as creative executive? I mean, you gave us a very long list of the the duties and responsibilities that you're involved in. But what have been some of the challenges as well as some of the advantages in your role? I think one thing that is both an advantage and a challenge here is that we are doing a movie a year uh, for the next little while. So that means we can focus all of our energies on that particular movie and building out tons of different experiences to support that movie. And to we have one animated show right now, so we put a lot of our energy into that show. But what we're not doing that like a traditional studio typically does or a production company is like look for new projects because we develop everything internally. Mm-hmm. So that just means, on the one hand, it's great because we can focus, focus, focus. On the other hand, it means we can only hire so many talented people every year. And I meet so many every year that I want to work with, but we can only do so much. So I think that's, that's been kind of a, a blessing and a curse all at once. But it's still... You never know when you'll get an opportunity to do something with somebody, so it's still really important for us to like get to know everybody that we can that's out there doing creative, making creative films. What led you to Lucasfilm? How did you find yourself working for them? And um, as a black woman, do you find that the environment and working just in the film industry at large is kind of hard to navigate? I I don't. I I feel that it's like anything, I mean, the actual community of people that are, have a job that I have, there's not that many of those people. Um, it's a it's a relatively condensed community. Most of it is based in, in Los Angeles, and everyone kind of knows each other. And I've just always found that, like anything, every one of those people is a geek for movies, and they, they come from every walk <laughs> of life. And so I haven't found that particularly difficult. In terms of how I got to Lucasfilm, I was introduced to Kiri Hart, our head of development, through a mutual friend who's a filmmaker, and we just got to know each other uh, socially initially, but then she was working for Kennedy Marshall at the time for Kathy. I started doing freelance script coverage for them. That was just an ongoing relationship that we had where they would send me something to read, I would give them my notes, and we had that kind of relationship, and then 
while that was happening, um, Carrie found out that Kathy had been having these conversations with George Lucas about taking over Lucasfilm and making new Star Wars films. So we were, you know, it was just kind of synchronistic how we were kind of working together already. So she hadn't been exposed to my development style, essentially. We started having some conversations about the fact that she was going to move to San Francisco and make new Star Wars films and, you know, what I consider coming up, coming up to get that going. And so I was just kind of blown away. You were like, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just like, I think for someone to say, like, there's going to be new Star Wars films, and I want you to come do it, and move to San Francisco, like, all kind of in one same sentence, it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> but it was like, it's like an amazing opportunity, yeah, so then that that was in 2012, I guess, and so we came up here, um, and here we are. Now we've got three movies in the can, and one coming out this Christmas, one uh, that's been released already on DVD, and then we've got another one we're going to post on for next year, and we're just, we're just busy, and it's really fun. That's amazing. Uh, oh, my gosh. I'm just so blown away of just the fact that you are involved in, like, one of the biggest multimedia companies that just provides some of the best, you know, products, movies, TV, comics, toys, and merchandise. This is your job. Like, this would be a dream job for me to, to work for Lucasfilm. So it's awesome to learn about your experience and to hear that you are enjoying the process as well. Thanks. Yeah, I know. I'm, I feel really lucky. And, you know. Like you won the lottery. The geek lottery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so for people that don't know, I mean, Lucasfilm, for most of us, we know about it through the films. We see the Lucasfilm title card that comes up when the movie trailer airs, but Lucasfilm is a little bit more than that. Can you tell us what the story group does exactly? The story group sits inside, you know, Lucasfilm, uh, as you described, and then Lucasfilm as a company also includes Industrial Light and Magic and Skywalker Sound, our other companies inside Lucasfilm. So altogether, we're this kind of film production powerhouse, for lack of a better expression. And inside Lucasfilm, the story group, the story group's job is to develop story content across all the various platforms that we create, uh, including the films, but also including books, including games, casual games and console games, animated television, also VR experiences, and online. So I've spoken to Kathy about it, and what her initial idea was when she came into the company was, you know, she had developed and produced countless big franchise movies over her career, and she'd noticed that a lot of times there would be these kind of ancillary books or supporting materials that would be developed to support these films, and the people that would go make those were not the same people that had been involved in making the movies, and there was this kind of disconnect. And so she was very intentional about saying, I want to create a central development team that has their hands in everything so that all of the various media can be really intuitively and intentionally connected. And so that's kind of how the group came about. So within our group, we're all sitting within those different areas and working with each other to create lots of connectivity across all the various platforms. That is so smart. That is such a wise business decision. And that's why you can tell that the Star Wars properties, both on the film side and the animation side and comic side, are so fluid, and it's right. not detached, unlike other, I won't name names, but we've seen some recent films come out by other movie properties and studios where you can tell there's a detachment and kind of the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. So 
that's good that she thought of that concept. Yeah, and it's, I think it's been really fun for all of us. I think it's, it's comforting for her to know that the same team that she works with, Kiri's team that she works with to develop these movies, is also in deep communication with everyone else. And so we're we're just really we're and we're continuing to get better and better at it. That's what's really exciting. I mean, we've had our first couple of years where we've created connectivity, but we we've got a lot more ideas to come and more um, ways to connect things and getting more and more people involved. So it's it's been really really cool. And um, the story group is an amazing team of people that all come from different expertise have different expertise. Together, we're like a hive mind and. We it's it's really fun when we get together and, and create something new. So what was your favorite moment while working? Because you worked on The Force Awakens. So what was your favorite moment while working on that project? There's so many, and it's such a long process, as you mentioned. I think my favorite moment was actually watching Daily's footage uh, with our team one day. We were here watching the footage come in, and we were watching the the scene of Ray getting to Luke at the temple. And mm. that was a big story point we had come up with together, and just seeing it come to life and it being the kind of emotional touch point that it is in the film and seeing how J.J. realized it was really cathartic. And, and Kiri and I kind of had a moment, and... Then when we when the movie was cut together and everything and we were out, we were seeing it in the theaters with everybody and seeing people react was like another layer of that. So it's like the three steps of coming up with a story point and not just that moment but that whole thread and that Luke would be someone that people are are looking for um, that he'd be this kind of missing this absence in the story was a huge kind of breakthrough when we were developing the story and then when it got integrated and then when it got executed and then when you get to we kept we kept saying that you would get to the end and you're like, Oh my god, it's Luke Skywalker and that's like exactly what it felt like. So it was just all those layers were really fantastic. That's awesome. This is great. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us about all things Star Wars as well as your role in Lucasfilm. For our listeners out there where can they find you on the interwebs if you have a website or any projects that you're working on? And also give us your social media shout-outs. You can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Rain Mikkel, R-A-Y-N-E-M-I-K-E-L-E. And I'm just focused on Star Wars right now, so there's not many other projects to talk about. But we do have, if you're a Rogue One enthusiast, I'm really excited about the book we developed with the publishing that will come out before the film, and I, I think it's real, really fun and really helps out with the movie. It's called Catalyst, so check that out in November, and may the force be with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Rain. This is great. You're so welcome. John Legend is a singer, songwriter, and musician. He's won 10 Grammy Awards, a Golden Globe Award, and an Academy Award. But John is expanding his horizons and moving into the film and television world. He's currently the executive producer on the WGN America show called Underground. And most recently, he is the executive producer of Southside With You, a love story about the meeting of Barack and Michelle Obama. In 2015, he won the Academy Award for Best Original Song for writing the song Glory for the film Selma.
stranded on on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> On a plane with all the you know the watermarks on it, so they don't so you don't pirate it and all that <laughs> good stuff. But um, it was a rough cut. Uh, it wasn't the final version, but it was at least a good enough version where you understood where it was going. And they um, wanted to see if we would executive produce it with them, and also uh, wanted me to write a song for it. So as I was watching it, I was already uh, had my mind thinking about what I would write, and uh, I listened to the music that was already in the film, watched their interaction, and I was so inspired by it. And so uh, a couple days later, I went to the studio and wrote a song in, uh, it's probably like two or three hours. I wrote it pretty quickly. It was just like, it just flowed out of me. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. So you, you've obviously spoken to President Obama, mm-hmm. and we, we're not sure, you said he hasn't seen it yet, but you know about it, it's available to him. Yeah. What do you think his impression of the film is going to be? I truly don't know because, you know, probably as the people that are, are, are being represented, part of them is going to be like, well, we didn't actually say it like this. <laughs> because the, the writer took his own creative license with imagining what they might say sure. based on whatever scraps of uh, public information is out there about them. And so we had to kind of um, heighten whatever drama was there and, and create some conflict that we weren't sure actually existed, you know. So all of those things happened. So... Part of him is probably going to say, well, it wasn't exactly like that. But at the end of the day, I think we captured the spirit of who they are as people, who they were at that time, and what their interactions might have been like on the first date. And I think they're going to like it. I really do. But far be it for me to really know. And <laughs> Speak on Obama's behalf, for sure, for sure. There seems to be a resurgence of kind of black cinema mm-hmm. lately between like... And television. This, yes. Oh, gosh. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, between like this and dope and everything. Mm-hmm. What makes this film stand out, and what are you hoping people walk away with from it? Well, I think we like to see ourselves as human on on, on screen, you know, and and um, not as a caricature, not as you know a stereotype, but as people, as people that have ups and downs, and, and have nuance, and and interesting relationships, and love stories. We like to see all that, um, just like everyone else does, and. and um, I think it's beautiful that we get the opportunity to tell those stories. And uh, to the extent that there's more opportunity to do that now, um, then that's a great thing. I think TV has especially been a great place to do that because there's so many avenues to tell a story, whether it's on streaming um, platforms or on cable or We're premium cable. It yourself. There's yeah, so many, like, exactly. uh, uh, Awkward Black Girl yeah. has her own show with HBO exactly. now. Exactly. It just shows that because there's so many places to get your story told and it makes the the gatekeepers, the individual gatekeepers at each place less dominant. It gives us a chance to get our stories out there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I know you, you have all this new kind of love in your life. You got a mm-hmm. new baby, yes. Chrissy. Did the movie affect you in any way? Through like I know Richard talks a lot about how he wrote the film after falling in yes. love, and it definitely has that you know first love kind of vibe. Yes, and I was inspired. It makes you want to build your relationship even more because yes. you see what they became and how inspiring it is, and you're like, it's kind of like an ode to love and an ode to finding the right partner and to couple them and what you can build together. And it just makes you want to be a better husband and to be a better dad when you see it. Absolutely. Yeah. 
You've been, you scored for uh, Selma last year. You did some composing for that. Mm-hmm. Are you, would you score like an entire film? Is that something that might seem You know, uh, composers are composers for a reason. <laughs> I spent a lot of time, you know, learning the ins and outs of that. I would probably have to co-write it with a, uh, or a true composer that, you know, has that background. So for me to do it by myself, I doubt, but... I'm definitely open to collaborating with a composer to do something like that. I think that's awesome. You get right to the heart, the feeling of the Yeah, I think music and film are so uh, integral to each other. And obviously we make music videos and all that, but films can't exist without great music, I think. And uh, we have such a power to set the tone and to connect the story to the audience even more. And I've done a lot of that, both for uh, the shows we produce and for other films and and other projects. So uh, I love doing it and I'll keep doing it. What's up next for you? Uh, new music and, uh, and more films and more TV. <laughs> right on, hold on. It's all coming. Thank you so much for your time today. <laughs> Thank I really you. Appreciate My it. pleasure. My pleasure. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. Various segments on all podcast episodes are edited by M.R. Daniel and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our podcast is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals used throughout podcast episodes are created by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find our shows on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. 